Well, babe, we did it. We wrote a book. Yeah, man, it's it's actually surreal to even think about uh, that we wrote a book, had a baby, got married, not necessarily in that order. <laughs> <laughs> but the book is now available yeah. for pre-order, and we're so excited to share it with you. Oh, so looking forward to getting this book into your hands, to be in dialogue and conversation with all of you as we continue to liberate love from old imprints and codependent dynamics that keep us small, stuck, and stagnant. Yeah, you know, no matter your relationship status, this book walks you through what shaped you, why do you do what you do in relationship. It dives deep into your relationship blueprint, attachment styles, and most importantly, which is different than every other book that's ever covered codependency in the past, we explore the role of the nervous system in that. And the book is called Liberated Love. Yeah. Release your codependent patterns and create the love you desire. Go to createthelove.com slash liberated love to order your copy now. That's createthelove.com slash liberated love and get that pre-order in and you'll be able to get a free download of a meditation we created and a workbook that goes along with it. Much love and appreciation for your support. Much love. Thank you. Hello to you and welcome to another episode of the Mark Groves podcast. I was just thinking about how awesome it is that we just get to talk about love and relationships and human behavior. I mean, it's everybody's favorite subject. I remember as a kid walking, not a kid, maybe like in my 20s, which now that feels like a long time ago, but I was walking with my dad and we were in Calgary, walking by the river and he said to me, just listen to people who are together. They're always talking about relationships. They're always talking about love. They're always talking about the thing that matters to them most, which is the connection to other people. Really healthy connections have a really beautiful, soothing, healing sort of contribution to our lives. And high conflict relationships and stressful relationships do the same. You know, they have the opposite effect. They create inflammation. When we think about it, there's really two causes of an inflammatory response from emotions. One is a dysregulated or um, unsafe relationship to another person. So your attachment system is, is disturbed. Um, and remember, if you don't know, your attachment system is basically a radar that's constantly looking for the safety and security in relationships. We do this at work too. In the book, The Culture Code, they talk about how one of the defining characteristics of a healthy corporate culture is the psychological safety to be oneself. And that's our responsibility as people who own businesses and as people who participate in businesses. But isn't it interesting that it parallels the same struggle that we have in family systems, which is this conflict that occurs between self-expression and needing to belong. That self-expression and authenticity, when it threatens belonging and attachment to other people, we squash authenticity and self-expression. So attachment wins and belonging wins. And this happens at our work. We mute our voice. We are afraid of, you know, what will happen if we actually speak up? So what happens is, is an alternate culture is created. The space between what the company's values, they say they are, and what the company's values are through behavior. 
um, there's a big space there and that causes a lot of friction in workplaces and massively affects productivity. That's why all companies should be talking about relationships. And we're actually doing a disservice for not only the companies, but the employees. And I hope that any, if you own a company or you participate in one that you can give feedback to, they should all be teaching relationships because whatever you struggle at romantically, you will become a badass um, relationally if you master those skills. Every conversation after that is peanuts. If you can handle conflict with a partner or the fear of rejection and abandonment and handle it like a boss, which we can all learn how to do. And so we look at this space, right, where we're afraid that if we are ourselves, we will lose the people around us. But we also then have a disturbed or unsafe attachment to ourselves because it's not safe to be ourselves within ourselves. And so that causes an internal form of rejection. We have rejected ourselves. We've abandoned ourselves. So as we become more conscious of that and more aware of the pain of that separation from authentic self to who we pretend to be, that starts to have a cost on our physiology, starts to cause inflammation. And there's a new study that just came out uh, that talks about how silencing your voice actually leads to um, cardiovascular markers going up. I can't remember the exact outcome that they measured, but I believe it was inter intermediate thickness, um, which you don't have to worry about what that is, but it's correlated to uh, cardiovascular outcome stroke. I believe it's got the highest correlation, but hey, if you're in cardiology and I said that wrong, don't worry about it. Um, but the study did have that outcome. Anyways, my whole point is, is that as you begin to birth your voice, as you begin to step into your power, you will betray other people. It will feel like you are betraying the safety attachment to other, but you are beginning to build a masterful relationship with yourself. And what's happening is you are going from creating your self-worth outside of you. If you approve of me, then I am worthy of being approved of. That means I'm a good person to, if I speak out, if I share my voice, if I set boundaries, I love myself, I am worthy. So you start to cultivate worth from within. And in that space, it's a very courageous space because we go from what we've been evolutionarily rewarded for, which is you know, molding who we need to be in order to fit into groups. And we start to become ourselves. And that causes, you know, I really love that saying that you be you and let the world adjust because we're so used to adjusting to the world. Oh, you don't want a relationship? Neither do I. Uh, you don't want that? Neither do I. You don't believe in that? Neither do I. Oh, that's your political view? That's mine too. We are all constantly reacting. And I say become and make the world react to you. And what you'll see is that the people who can't hold that space will fall away. And that's the scariest space to be in because you have to trust and surrender and let the old part of you that put on mass and played the game, you have to let that part of you die and it will feel like a mortality. I promise you that because I've had many of them and those deaths don't end. They don't because you continue to figure out layers of yourself that need healing you begin to distinguish between who you are versus what you were taught. And there are some things we are taught that are really beautiful, but there are other things that prevent us from actually experiencing connection, authentic connection. I hope all of that makes sense because to me, it's one of the most powerful learnings we can have is recognizing that war between, it's not a war, but the, the, the dance that authenticity does with belonging. And when we can step into authentic self-expression, we can begin to create family 
and community that actually reflects what we think and feel and believe. And so I, I read a quote the other day and it said, are you willing to betray someone else to save yourself? I thought, man, when you have done that, when you've actually done that, and I've done that, where you betray what you know as the world you were taught to choose yourself, if someone ever has to betray you to choose themselves, you can hold space for them in that. You can hold that space because you've done it. So you know how hard it is and you know it's not about you. You know it's about self-preservation. You know it's about rescuing oneself. And that's been a beautiful space for me to learn to hold. And yeah, it's just a great, man, what a good time to be alive, right? Okay, so with all that said, I have a couple things. One, if you could go to wherever you listen to this and give it a five-star review and a written review, oh my gosh, you helped me out so much. If you love an episode, please share it. If you love this one, share it. Get it into other people's ears. Second, if you are going through a breakup, trying to get over an ex, if you can't get them out of your mind, you're trying to step into love, you might even be in a new relationship and you still have a little lingering feelings for someone or, you know, what do they call it? The case of the mystery ex, right? Where we use the thoughts of a past relationship to hold us back from fully opening in a new relationship. So all that stuff needs to be put to bed, so to speak. And that healing journey is one that I have designed a program for called the Breakup Recovery Recipe. If you want to join, it's five weeks. I'm in your inbox every day with an email, with a video, and there's worksheets and exercises and journaling and ways to get closure. And I say, give it to yourself. Don't wait for it from anyone else. You can't, you can't anymore. So go to bit.ly slash breakup rebirth. So B-I-T dot L-Y slash breakup rebirth. And you can just go register there. It starts the moment you register. And I can't wait to join you on that journey. So this week, I've got my longtime mentor and friend who is just one of the most spectacular people I know. She speaks on stages with Tony Robbins. She runs just a badass business. She's a great coach, a great leader. She has been an invaluable, such an invaluable asset to me and mentor and just has inspired me and believed in me from the beginning. And it is so great to have people like that in our lives. And I can't wait for her to drop knowledge here to share with you. We talk a lot about how do we actually make change? Even though we've been learning things, we don't, why don't we change? But you're definitely going to want to stay for the end of the episode, right to the end, because we talk about how do you deal with family, with family that you don't get along with, with family that violates your boundaries. If your pain, well, I mean, all of us, our pain was born in family relationships and it was born in relationship. That's how we heal is in relationship. But how do we handle when there are people we've been taught that we have to love, that we have to choose, that blood is thicker than water, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so we navigate that through her own journey and she shares some really beautiful advice. So make sure you listen to this whole one because it is the bomb. So without further ado, Aaron Sky Kelly, my good friend, here she is. Well, it is absolutely an honor finally get you on my podcast considering i would say in a lot of ways you're one of the reasons uh my podcast even exists why because in the fateful day that we met in a coffee shop yeah via a friend yeah julie um, yeah you've had such a profound impact on my life as a mentor and a guide and a friend mark truly and i knew that the minute i met you so that actually has nothing to do with me that has everything to do with you but i'm happy to hold up that mirror for you always because i am a huge mark groves fan 
And that, like, you have allowed and taught me continuously to receive, to hear that from you and go, my worth will grow continuously into the words that you speak into me. And you've made me stand on a stage and receive applause when I want to scurry off. (laughs) Uh You were also uh, one of the first people... You were the first person to ever put me on a stage. Was I? Yeah, at Transformation Weekend. That's cool. And then you have continued to do that. And I'm just forever so grateful for you you and the impact you have, not only on so many people's lives, but... um, I really should have started collecting fees for the Mark Grove fan club. I would be in Tahiti right now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that would be a good place to record a podcast. But instead, we'll do it in Calgary. In Calgary. Yeah. So thank you for being here. Thank you. Um, one of the things that comes up constantly, constantly, constantly in the questions that I receive all the time is this application of like, I've learned all these things. And I think this is true of us is as humans, we just like collect information. We read more books. We're like, oh yeah, that's so true about me. And we read something. And then all of a sudden we're like, I'm still going to do it for 10 years though, because, <laughs> you know, it doesn't hurt enough. Right. And Where and how, and I know this will just be a rolling conversation about it, but where and how, how do we take knowledge and enact change? Because most people are sitting on piles of Yoda-like wisdom Mm -hmm. and just fucking around with Mm -hmm. their life, you know? Mm -hmm. The the thing I notice with human beings is we want to feel good about the choices we are already making. We don't actually want change. And you see this all the time with people who post memes on the internet, right? They're like, oh yeah, this quote really speaks to me right in this moment as I'm headed outside for my smoke break um, (laughs) and then going to sleep with a random on the way home, right? It's not that- Sounds like a good Tuesday. (laughs) It's not that- It's not that we're not capable of change. It's just that we are so rooted in our comfort and our routines. And oftentimes, they're not even things that are serving us, but they're just things that we're used to. And Mm. that feels better to us than doing something that would require a little more of us. And the challenge becomes, what are you choosing? Are you choosing to feel good now or are you choosing to become better? And we want to feel good. All of us do. Yeah, I know that feeling. It's like, do I want the gummy bear or do I want the abs? Do I want the Netflix? Do I want, right? And so what we do is then we tell ourselves, then we justify the choice that we want to feel better. So we'll we'll tell ourselves all the time, well, I need something to relax, so I have to watch Netflix. I've had a very hard day, so I have to. But that's that choice is not restorative. That choice is a distraction from the thing that you're actually wanting to feel. So it's always temporary. So the temporary good mask the long-term channeling and movement towards growth and expansion. Yeah. So we'd rather have the dopamine orgasmic hit now Mm. than struggle in our own aloneness. Yes. Because even in the journey of relationship, we still have to sit in a space of aloneness. Yes. You know, and sit in our feelings. We'd rather distract ourselves from those feelings, even though we know. Yeah. We fucking know. I know we know. We all know. Whenever anyone asks me advice, usually their answer is in the question they ask. And I usually just say, can you just read that back to yourself? And just like <laughs> maybe listen to yourself. Let me break it down this way for you. There are in a week, let's say, all of the different experiences that we do in the week. In a week, there are four ways to break it down. Okay. Okay. So we would call those classes of experiences. Okay. And so class four experiences are things that do not feel good and are not good for me. 
So I'd say the majority of us don't live there, but we all know somebody who does. So they're continually doing things that don't feel good and aren't good for me. Don't feel good and aren't good for me. So like abuse of alcohol. Yes. Abuse of drugs, abuse of exercise, abuse, abuse of all the things that we use to cope. Yes. Okay. And that's where life has gotten too far. So most of us don't live there, but we all know somebody who does. And I've it's, been there. Yeah. Sure. It's a I've difficult, visited difficult. Visited. <laughs> I usually time traveled through it. So. <laughs> and and it's a difficult place to be. And this is the hardest place to make change from is class mm. four experiences, right? Class three experiences are things that feel good, but are not good for me. So, God, those are all the things in four, but they're just not at the far extreme. They're not at the far extreme yet. So, they're not necessarily an addiction. That's yet. right. Okay. That's right. So, they feel good in the moment. So, things like having a box of wine after you put the kids to bed, right? Oh, it man. feels good in the moment, but it's technically not good for you. And this is where people always argue with me and they'll say, well, doctors say that a glass of red wine a night is better for your heart, right? But I'm saying, listen, that is. You don't get to save them up and have all of them on one night, though. I remember doctors saying that. Yes. And so what people are chasing in this realm is is literally just things that feel good. So this is things, too, like maybe bad food choices. I hate to use the word bad. I don't believe there's bad in good foods. Yeah, because pizza's fucking good. Right? Feels good. But And pizza, if you eat it today, no negative impact to your body. If you eat it today and tomorrow no negative impact to your body. You eat it every day for 30 days. We're starting to see now negative impacts Mm -hmm. to your body, right? So it it also has to do with frequency. But if you're spending the majority of your time in class three experiences, which are things that feel good, but are not good for you, you're you're not going to get where you want to go and you're going to end up in that state of misery. And this is also where people are stuck and change becomes very difficult. Well, there's so many positive rewards. That's the you know, the, they feel good, even though they're not good for you. You That's that space you're saying where we sit in the moment of pleasure, but we don't think about the long-term, the long-term. goal. Yes. So okay. it's temporary. It's yeah. temporary. Okay. So here's the category that everybody tries to avoid. And it's things that might not feel good, but are good for me. So what are some of those things? Well, I would imagine a spin class for some people, <laughs> right? Yes. Especially when that seat goes up that your seat. a-hole. That yeah, seat that's... is painful. It takes a while to get used to that. It I think does. they should have... A... Especially when you're doing the hopping up and down on oh, the seat. Oh, Lord. Right in the butt bone. They need a seat training program before you begin, <laughs> right? They should mail you the seat. Like, you want to sign up for spin, sit on this you for two watch weeks. Netflix on Build up a callus, seat. <laughs> then calm in, because we're going to... Yeah. yeah. Okay, so things like uh, high-intensity training. Yes. Like... Um, Broccoli. Salad. Yeah. Like... I know some people are like, salad's so good. And I'm like, you're broken. That's, <laughs> your taste buds are not working. Uh, chocolate's good. Okay. That's, you can say that. Okay. So in small, in small, right? That, yes. It, right. So it's, but it's, it's things like that coffee, might not feel good in like the moment. Three. Coffee yeah, feels God good, but it's not I good. I love coffee. <laughs> okay. So, okay. So things that might not necessarily feel good. So the spin classes, having hard conversations with your partner, yes. that's a class to experience. Um, reading a book. Reading a book. Absolutely. Saying no to uh, friends with benefits when you yeah. know you want a relationship. Oh, boy. Right. Up top. High five. Yeah. That's Ooh. a tough one. That's a class two yeah, experience Yeah, because that one's sure. rewarded with the old orgasm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you're lucky. That's yeah, right. that's good. That's right. I mean, for a guy, it's usually always true. For a lady, if it's you're, not yeah. always true. And then class one experiences are things that feel good and are good for me. So class one experiences become the moments where... Green juice. You did the thing that you... Well, no, but here's the challenge. Green juice is not, for most people, day one, 
feel good. It yeah, doesn't feel good. True. It's like gross, it's like right? It's like lawnmower with water. So it's a class two experience most of the time for people. That's However, true. you become, the it's more you do it. It's now. Yes, because you've done it enough times. It's a one. I feel like a hack salad. Same, yes, yeah, same for it. salad people too, right? The people who you say are broken because they uh, <laughs> like salad. They're they've, like your taste buds are broken. They've lived in class two experiences okay. long enough. They chose the thing that was good for them that eventually became easy. So things like mm, okay, uh, class one experience might also be like finishing a ten k race. It feels good and is good for you as long as it's not your first ten k race, right? If you're the type yes. of person who consistently has done class two experiences, meaning it doesn't feel good, but it's good for me, you end up living a class one life. So if I'm having hard conversations, because this is something I can definitely relate to. Yes. And salad. Once I've had a number of them. Yes. One, I know they're actually not as scary as I thought they were. Mm -hmm. Two, I become more skilled at them because I'm doing them more. Yes. I gain more vocabulary. I gain more presence in my body. I start to condition my nervous system to be more calm in those moments. I take ownership over the relationship I would like to create. Yes. And now what was formerly fearful and now is actually rewarding me. Yeah. And I'm fulfilled by them and I need them. Yes. Because I'm committed to something greater than what is formerly my fear. Right. Hmm. You so, hear that, people? Yes. Do you hear what's happening here? So Two to one, two to one. <laughs> yeah, so here's the challenge. When you say to me, why do people struggle with change? It's because they're living in class three experiences. So what happens mm. is... I can relate to that, yeah. What we All we have to do, it's so minor and it's not comfortable. All we have to do is just choose today one more class two experience than we did yesterday. And it can even be five minutes. So we just start to really breed this thing of like, I'm going to choose things that don't feel good today. So one thing that I see most people struggle with in the journey of transformation, and I think it's probably one of the most important skill sets, mm -hmm. is meditation. Mm -hmm. they're like, I can't do that. Mm -hmm. I don't have time. I'm like, yeah, you don't want to. That's, that's exactly it. Um, because we all make time for things we want to. Yes. Like when we're in the honeymoon phase of the relationship, we will clear our schedule. All the time in the uh, world, baby. Fresh underwear every hour. <laughs> we'll stay up extra late. We won't yes. sleep as much. We'll do anything. Yes. And it's not to say that there shouldn't, you know, that is obviously on the far extreme of balance. But we often go to the very other end where we're like, yeah, yeah, I didn't shave my, well, that was going to be a bad example. I didn't <laughs> shave my legs today. That's, that was a really bad example. I just want to point out that if you're listening, you're like, fuck him. I get it. That was really bad. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So anyways, um, but I didn't take care of myself or do, I don't, I didn't shower today. I didn't right. tell them I love them. I'm like, you know, not putting in the effort. Not pouring in. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's um, Tony Robbins who says, uh, if you want your relationship to last, do what you did at the beginning. Yes. And that's I Tony. totally agree with that. Yep. I think that's a beautiful truth. Okay. So we're living in class three. All we got to do is start to implement a couple class twos a day. Uh, yeah. And you just start there. You just have to decide. Like It's really that easy. But because it's easy to do, it's also easy not to do, right? Which is the key. So people think mm, in terms like of transformation. It's easy to do. It's easy not to do. Mm -hmm. okay. When people think in terms of transformation, like they show up to Transformation Week and they're like, I want to change my whole life. <laughs> and they think it's going to be like this giant sweeping thing. And it's not. It's in the little minutiae. It's in the yeah. tiny details that you choose. And it's just about consistency. But back to your comment on meditation, when people say, I can't meditate, I don't want to meditate. Usually, in my experience, when people are saying that, it's what they're meaning is, I'm afraid of the stillness. 
And what happens is they they know that there's something there, but they'll yes. be forced to be paid attention to. So I think even just having that conversation with yourself, if you're somebody who's like, I can't meditate, I think the question you need to ask yourself is, what am I afraid I'm going to learn in the quiet? Mm, who's there? Who's there? Yeah. I was listening to this podcast the other day. I forget the lady's name, but she's referred to as the female Eckhart Tolle. Mm. I think he should be referred to as the male. I think her name's Gaganji or something like that, which sounds a lot like weed, ganja. But her <laughs> name is Gaganji. I think it's something like that. My friend sent it to me when I did my digital detox of my silent separation from the planet. Um, and in the, in the podcast, she said, silence is who you are. Ooh, I love that. Right. I got to seek that out. So she said, I'll send you it. Okay. Um, and we'll put it in the show notes. Silence is who you are. And that hit me in a truth level, you know, because I just, I mean, I was at Whole Foods. So that's in uh, Bellingham, you know, Washington. Right. And I was on my silent retreat. I just wasn't talking to people other than the cashier. But it really hit me because all yes. of a sudden I was like, that is where you're found. You know, the thoughts that you learn to allow it to flow through you, to go down the rabbit hole with or whatever. Meditation doesn't have to look like this empty chasm where all of a sudden you're like a monk mm-hmm. who's given up everything in their life. Like you can still have sex and be a monk, I think. I mean, if you're a monk listening, I'm sorry. It's true though. <laughs> but the other thing she said that was really profound, yeah, which fucking rocked me in a good way, was she said, if you're listening to this, know that, These are all our last moments. These are all our last moments as we know them right now. Whoa, Uh, that is massive. Right? Because when you connect to that truth, like even as we're sitting here, you know, looking at each other, you connect to that truth. You're like, what a gift. Like we think we have a week. Mm -hmm. We're going to put off the class twos Mm -hmm. till, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to really double down on class threes till I get into a class four. And then, you know, it's like in, um, yeah. in this, I, I always love sharing what is true for me to people listening so that they can know that we're all fucking human. Mm-hmm. And it's that in, okay, so in December, I was like, okay, I'm going to stop drinking in January. I'm going to hit up like a transformation in January. I'm, I'm still working out. I'm still hiking, but I'm hitting a heavy space here. I'm like rolling into... Uh, January 1st hot, not sexy hot, <laughs> but hot from the extra insulation that I've been storing. And so like my like fit weight and this might be, I don't care if it's an overshare, there's no such thing for me, is, is probably like 165. I'm rolling in Boxing Day, I do a weigh-in. I'm at 186. This is the heaviest I've ever hit. And let me tell you people listening, it's not muscle. <laughs> and I've always been sort of like a recovering fat kid that's true just like gummy bears are my friend i probably was i was starting to look like a gummy bear and i put the other day i posted a video that i recorded around that time and i'm like oh i don't even want to post it like my face is like blah you know yeah and but i post them because i don't get to live in that space of fear of of that it's like let's just do it and that was where I got to is I was like, I'm going to have a great December, a great January. I'm going to class three it up like a champ. And when I did the weigh in, I was like, okay, we've hit the peak. We've hit, it's time. <laughs> the top of the mountain right here. Yeah. And then I stopped drinking in January. Mm-hmm. And Hadn't uh, you stopped drinking before though? 
No, I stopped drinking it. I have done like five months. Oh, gotcha. Or, okay. But okay. this was like, I've always left a little caveat in the closet, mm. you know, like, yeah. oh, there's a wedding coming up. Oh, there's a right. thing. But I was like, what happens if I break all those social agreements? That's really why I did it. Mm -hmm. I didn't do it because I had a toxic relationship with alcohol. I wasn't like, you know, drinking and ending up in foreign places or something. Right, right. It was that, like I could have a casual drink. It was that, what is my life like if I break rules mm. that everyone lives by? Right. And that was so powerful for me. But in the in that experience yeah. has been class two, class two, class two. Don't get me wrong. Class three I've hit with, I had pizza twice last week. And it was so good. Mm -hmm. So it's this balance. Yes. Of, you don't want to avoid class three all the time. You just don't want to live there. You just want to visit now and then because that's what makes the gummy bears taste better. That's what makes the pizza taste it better. so good. That's what makes the, you know, crazy monkey sex with your husband better, right? Is that you don't live there all the time. You just visit. Mm. But your norm is class two. Anyway, I interrupted. No, that's... Well, and I, perfect. I just think that what happens is when we, when we tell ourselves, you know, I'm going to December it up and I'm going to, and you do, what happens is sometimes people keep doing that. Now you obviously made a shift at some point, but, but I have done that. Though. I've fallen into that thinking too, Me where too. I'm like, when I meet the man of my dreams, then I will do this. When I get a better job, then I will pay off my debt. When I, you know, X and X happens, then I will join the gym or whatever. And it, Feel like I'm it's gonna backwards. have to shave my legs for what I said earlier. <laughs> I, feel I feel like you should, guys. I'm gonna shave everybody. I don't mean guys. I'm gonna shave my legs for I, I, for that comment. I, I need to experience the level of yes. um, maintenance that people who shave their legs have undergone, which I am so grateful for. <laughs> you know, you'll appreciate it so much better. Yep. You yep. know what the greatest thing in the world is is when you have a partner that doesn't. I think women we do this so harshly to ourselves in terms of, you know, what we think we need to look like. The greatest thing in the world is having a partner who is just so happy to bang you, no matter if you're wearing oh. granny panties, hairy leg. He's like, give me a piece of this. You are sexy. And I want you. That is like just the greatest liberation. to take them off. <laughs> and if we happen to be jumping off a cliff, I can put those underwear on the back and I'll parachute down. That's a... <laughs> Sorry for the loud clap. I clapped Is you. Is that a bad I, joke? I feel like that's a good joke. You're going to now have to shave your legs and wear granny panties for penance for all <laughs> I mean, of I'm a guy. Oh, I'd have to wear like Homer Simpson underwear. <laughs> yeah. My dad used to come outside when my friends and I would drink too late and be partying in the park by our house. Yeah. And no joke, my friends laugh about this all the time. If Dad, if you're listening, sorry. <laughs> he would come out, no joke, in like shoes yeah. and his white briefs. Yes, he did. And he would wave... <laughs> A broom. <laughs> and I remember him being like, hey, and my, my buddies are all like, is that your dad in his underwear in the middle? And it, and funny enough, there was like a street light right over his head because it this was right on the corner. Gold. Man, the corner of uh, in Parkdale. And my friends were like, your dad's in his underwear in the middle of the street. What the fuck is happening? And I'm like, oh, my God. And my dad's like, you think the whole goddamn neighborhood wants to hear you? And we're like, actually, yeah, actually, I think they were saying some really profound things. Oh, you are so lucky that social media and cell phones weren't around. My dad is lucky. You're, that's what I Although mean. Although he might be famous. He'd be a GIF for sure. <laughs> he would, or a GIF or whatever you call them. I heard that they're called GIFs now and that upsets me because I'm so rooted in the GIF. They're but, GIFs? Yeah. Whoever invented them has come out and said that I just that found GIFs. out that a decal mm -hmm. is actually called a decal everywhere. No. Except for Alberta and BC. 
no. and maybe uh, parts of Canada. I am so redneck. I know. Decal? I, yes. And I oh, thought, no. I even Googled it because I wanted to be so right. And it was like <laughs> British pronunciation. And it's like, dang it. Decal. And I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> I'm greatest, wrong. The greatest comment of all is because I wanted to be right. I really did. <laughs> I was so rooted in it. I was arguing with a bunch of Americans. And I mean, if it's geography, usually I am right. I love you, Americans. Don't get me wrong. If it's geography about Canada. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right? You're solid on that. Yeah. But with this one, I took it. It was not. It wasn't pretty. Decal. I'm I was never so remember that. wrong. Decal. Decal. I was like, we need a decal for the car. And uh, my 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 ex was like, uh, "What the hell is a decal?" <laughs> like shit. Uh, what do you you don't know? Anyways, so yeah. getting back to change. Yes. So this is because I think everybody listening will relate. We've got people who are moving from three to two, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So moving from three to two. Yes. How long does this normally take people to get to the place where they're living a number one life? Takes as long as it takes. Yeah, because you know, more people are like, so just tell me, when will it be done? Exactly. That's usually, they want the reward. They want to know. And that's the problem is people, Mm. when you set goals, they'll often say, what's the deadline? And they're putting themselves up against these impossible challenges because the deadline entirely depends on your consistency in class too. So only you are in control of that. So rather than setting a goal based on a result, which is what people are trying to do when they're figuring out when is this going to happen? Yeah. You have to set the goal based on the activity. So, for example, yeah. we've had people who uh, want to lose weight yeah. as a goal at Transformation Weekend. So they me, show up and they're like, <laughs> me in December. Yeah. Yeah. I want to I lose 50 pounds. Yeah. And I say, okay, well, that's not a goal. And they're like, what do you mean that's not a goal? I know I'm a, it's, a, it's a dick move to say in this time, but it's not a goal. That truth. is a result. That yeah. is a result of things that you're going to have to do. And the goal then becomes, because you all, this is the challenge with having the weight as the goal is that we all know you you start a whatever regime, diet, keto, whatever plan, right? Day one, you step on the scale, you start with your starting weight, you take the selfie with the newspaper in the bikini in the mirror, right? Because you're like, this is my before <laughs> yeah. picture. And then you do the work. And after a couple of days, you're feeling really good. You know what I mean? You're like, yeah, I'm sticking with it. I'm happy. And then they step on the scale and they're down eight pounds. And they're like, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. And they start to tell all their friends, you've got to join the keto beach body, whatever. They're yeah, all excited. Yeah. And then they keep doing it. And two or three days later, they step on the scale again and they're up five pounds. And they're like, well, this sucks. And they eat a pizza and quit because they're like, this is not working. And the challenge is your body's going to do what your body's going to do, especially for women. You're going to have Shark Week and your weight is going to go up. You're going to take a big poop. It's going to go down. There's all sorts of things that Best are out of- Best time to weigh yourself post-poop. <laughs> You're out, those things are out of your control. The yeah. only part that you can control is what you put in your cake hole and how often you move your body. And that has to be what you measure your success by. And it has to be in the sense of, I'm not going to do what feels good. Like, I'm going to do the things that make me a little uncomfortable when it comes to choosing what I'm going to nourish my body with and choosing how to move my body. Well, number two, I find like all of the number two activities, Mm -hmm. you are always left more fulfilled. You're always Always. left with like, I'm so glad I did that. Yes. You know, it's like, even if you don't want to go out and crush and run stairs or something, because, you know, most people be like, "Mm, no, Mm -hmm. but just going for a walk and noticing a tree and smelling the air, 
you're never left upset with that. It's like if you're in conflict with your partner, go argue and walk. Mm-hmm. It's pretty hard mm-hmm. because one, you're side by side. So you're facing the world together rather than, uh, you know, against one another. It's such a, a different way of seeing Huge. things. Yeah. So, okay. So this is. And the, and the, here's the key is when people actually do lose the weight, when somebody yeah. has lost 50 pounds, they will often think I lost 50 pounds. Therefore I feel amazing. The difference between somebody who keeps it off and somebody who doesn't is the person who recognizes, I actually don't feel great because I took off 50 pounds. I actually feel great because I kept my word to myself. Mm. And that's where the magic happens. That's where it's sustainable. I remember you saying to me, do you hit the snooze button in the morning? Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, I love snooze. And you're like, that's too bad that you start your day lying to yourself. And I was like, that was a setup. That was a, here I am like sharing my most vulnerable moment of snooze. I hit it three or four times. Oh my God, you lie to yourself three or four times. But you made a really beautiful point. And you know me, I love straight truth. So, right. hey, I appreciated right. that. Uh, but you, when you said it to me, it really hit a nerve because it was true. <laughs> right. You know, I could tell when I was like, no, the snooze is in my, I gave my word. What? Okay. And, and I never really thought of it that way. Like we already know that for hitting snooze, we want to get up at seven 30 instead of seven 20. We're just going to keep falling back asleep. I mean, snooze is total torture. I don't know why we do it to ourselves in hindsight. Agreed. Agreed. But you made such a good point. That we start our day with thoughts like, I didn't get enough sleep right when we wake up. Mm-hmm. And I also didn't honor myself right away. Mm-hmm. 100%. The key with any of these things, like snooze is definitely a class three experience, right? It feels good, but it's not good for you. And what happens is then you train your body to need snooze to wake up because it, it becomes impossible to wake up when you first, um, when the alarm first goes off. Mm-hmm. And there's all kinds of great sleep apps and stuff now that will help you get in oh, tune with what the best your circadian rhythm, right? And that's the key to honoring yourself. But when you open your eyes as a human being or any animal that walks the earth, you should feel refreshed and ready to go. Mm-hmm. A bird doesn't open its eyes in the morning or whenever birds get up, right? Four o'clock in the morning <laughs> around my neighborhood. Yeah, crows right out my window about 5.30. Yeah. They immediately start singing when they wake up. They don't like... You know what I mean? Humans are the only ones that are lazy jerks. I need a coffee before I sing my song. (laughs) That's not untrue. But to have a life where the minute that alarm goes off or you wake up naturally without an alarm every day consistently because you've mastered this in yourself and to get up and get to live your life is such a huge gift that we miss out on when Mm. we're hitting snooze to distract from what it is that we're supposed to do that day. Well, as I um, sort of went into the forest and buried myself in an existential crisis uh, after my breakup. And uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about listening, I did a special episode about my relationship ending um, and just expressed uh, going into the forest and and just sort of what I experienced there. And that feeling of just, uh, you and I were talking about this earlier, that feeling of really recognizing the gift that is life, that within the pain of transformation, within the number twos mm-hmm. is that that pain is really love that that the line between pain and love is non-existent that you need all of it and it's mm-hmm. the breath of all emotion that allows you to experience the deliciousness of, of being a human yes like it's such a gift to be on this planet in this moment like we have podcasts like that's crazy we're recording a conversation and people are like i like this conversation don't get me wrong. I've had plenty of conversations people don't want to be part of. 
But this, <laughs> the fact that now I can do this is such a gift. Right. And so many generations before us never even had access to all of the information we all share so freely now. Mm-hmm. Not to mention, although this is certainly a privilege, the amount of choice we have. Yes. Um, to choose our partners, not everyone gets to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, to choose our gender, our identity, our sexuality, not everyone gets that. And I think in a way it offers a lot of, okay, well, who am I if I have all these choices? Right. Of course. But at the same time, it is such a gift that I think we often forget mm-hmm. the honor of this breath. Yes. This moment right here. I think you did such a beautiful job. I just want to honor you for a minute because, you know, you did have a breakup and it was public mm-hmm. and uh, because of how you live your life and how beautifully she lives her life. You are both Absolutely, such two beautiful does. humans. And on, you know, as somebody who's just madly in love with the both of you in terms of our friendships and relationships over the years, it was hard. I know that people in our friend group mourned your relationship as well for, you know, for themselves and, and yeah. for you and for Kai. And I think you did such a beautiful job because you not only honored the relationship when you were in the relationship, you honored it beautifully, but out of the relationship and the transition out, you honored the relationship as well as honoring her and honoring you. And it was such beautiful work to witness that you thought, I am going to disconnect because it can be so easy in a breakup or when people are going through pain to feel like they need attention, they need people, they need to feel validated. That's ego work. Mm-hmm. You did none of that. You made contact with the people that you love to say, I'm going away for a bit. I'm going into nature. Peace out. And you honored that space and you took such good care of yourself. You literally class two'd your- Oh, it was fucking class two, yeah. Hard work, but you sat with it all. And it was such a beautiful example of how, because I think sometimes when we- you know, have a typical relationship in the world. You work in an office and people find out you broke up and everybody wants to be like, that jerk, you deserve better. Meet my friend, you know, bang these seven people to get it out of your system or whatever. And (laughs) you were like, I'm not participating in any of that because that's not love. I'm going to choose love. I'm going to choose the pain. I'm going to choose whatever feelings arise, honor them as they happen and move through them. And that's why you have a class one life. Man, that class two, I got to tell you, I've never been in uh, this situation with all the tools I have now, Mm. which I was saying to you earlier that it went from this intellectual understanding of what unconditional love is. Mm -hmm. It's like, and through the relationship, learning to embody it, through the relationship being, learning to truly be detached from the outcome and knowing that it was really in the day-to-day. It was really in how her and I expressed to each other. Even as the, you know, you formulate the details of the, of the relationship changing its container, mm-hmm. it's consistently done with such grace. Mm-hmm. And she is such an amazing human to be walking this with because I've literally never walked this path that I'm walking with her. I usually would shut it off and be like, okay, peace out. I don't want anything. I'm moving on. Out. No contact. Yeah. But now I, there's such a, the unconditional loving part of myself, I still need boundaries. So that's, those aren't going anywhere. Right. Um, but it's being able to honor that there is, I can do this with love and grace mm-hmm. and I'm on the edge, which means I'm learning because yeah. I literally have no idea what's going to, how I'm going to handle next week or what's going to, I just know that grace is always in my heart uh, for her because I have no, mm-hmm. to me, it's like, we're both in truth and that is the most important yes. thing. 
Yes. But I think that's the most beautiful part about the presence of it all is you're being presence to life. You're being presence, present to this experience and anything that you want to change, you have to do with love. You can't have a transformation with discipline of any kind. No. You can't have a transformation with force or any of that because there's there'll always be resistance and pushback. Whereas where you lean into all of the changes with love, with that spirit, with presence and gratitude, you will never go wrong. No, no, and, you never will because yeah. you won't regret it mm-hmm. at all. And yeah. I regret not a single moment, mm-hmm. not a single moment. That's which remarkable. is a really beautiful thing to know. I can look back and go, I've loved so well. Yes. And so is she. Yes. Oh, she's been amazing. Oh, she's she's the bomb.com. Oh yeah. I know. So I think, so thank you for all of that. I appreciate that. Um, and this is about you. Not about <laughs> I, I do appreciate you. that. Uh, no, but that's who you are is you, you just have this beautiful ability to validate and notice. But I, people. yeah, I think that's just it, right? I wanted you to know, I see it like I, I, and with, with her too, I, I just see it and it's, it's unfolded. So it's like a movie in a way, like, but, <laughs> but a true movie, not one of those fake rom-coms where there's like a big dramatic ending. It's, it's just really been beautiful. And if everybody could live that way, everybody would be happier, even in the pain. Cause you can find joy in the pain if you're present with it. Well, even to see that the ending of the relationship as a romantic container does not mean that it, that is choosing love, yes. you know? And I think that's what's conflicting for a lot of people to process. I'm not saying that that's what someone's experience who's listening but I think a lot of people in the feedback or the the sort of wake of it all mm-hmm. that I saw was like this, but your relationship is ending. That's, you need to fight for it. You need to, and I was like, what happens if that is fighting for it? What happens if that is, it's just the definition of what we've been taught is Disney. Right. Everything's forever and you need to, that's true sometimes. You know, my friend was saying to me, uh, Jeremy, mm-hmm. you were just on his podcast. Uh, Dr. Jeremy Goldberg. Dr. Jeremy he was Goldberg. just on uh, this one as well. And he was saying, you know, I worked it out. And no matter what, the relationships always end bad. Like you either die before them <laughs> or they die before you. <laughs> or, and I was like, both of those are bad. That's, yeah. And he's like, or you break up. <laughs> and he's like, so either way, they end bad. So let's not mess around. I love that. He that articulated guy is so, so genius. much more I know poetically. he's genius. I can't wait to listen. I think he's doing, I hope I didn't rob that from you, Jer. <laughs> yeah, check out Jeremy Goldberg. He's going to talk about something like that in the future. <laughs> Long distance love bombs. He, I love that because that is so true. I hadn't thought of it that way before. So we have to practice getting good at crappy endings. Yeah, we have to recognize that it's not about the ending. Mm-hmm. It's about the showing up today. And for me, it was waking up every morning and saying, if I want this relationship to be fulfilling, yes, how am I going to show up today? There it is. Who am I going to be? There it is. That's and it's beautiful. not like it became less fulfilling because the container changed. Mm-hmm. I'm still fulfilled within myself. Yes. She, I, I would hope, is fulfilled within herself too, I would imagine. And, and so that's the outcome that I seek, which is alignment to truth, alignment to, you can't force a story no. that's not yours, you know, and, and that's a truth that's hard to face is, and when do you know you're forcing it versus, uh, you're just doing the work. That's a fine line, right? That's a hard. That's an expectation. But I think that's what people have. We are taught and it was the generation before us, I think. And it was, it came by everybody pretty honestly, but we are taught to have expectations. And instead, what we need to have is standards. Because when we have expectations, it puts upon somebody else 
how they should behave. And if we can remove that and not should on anybody and, re- you know, remove an like expectation from them. Yes. Right on their head. <laughs> <laughs> then what happens is you allow grace for each other. And that's where growth happens. Growth can't happen without grace. So the what, you know, I don't know how to word this. I wish Jeremy Goldberg was here because he could like articulate. He'd do a poem He about would do it. a poem. The The challenge becomes how do you um, have high standards? How do you have boundaries? How do you you know, navigate all of these things and still have romance? How do you still have, uh, you know, your own fairy tale ending? But that comes from, you literally have to write your story, which is what you talk about when you say create the love. You are in every moment creating it, but you have to stay present to it to do that. You can't have already decided how things should be at the start of a relationship or the start of a week or the start of a, because you will always be facing disappointment. So it has to be a journey that you do together, but presence has to be a part of that. Has to. And I mean, the other day I was having a conversation with a friend. He was saying, but you make a vow till death do us part. And I said, yeah, but how do you know if it's a part of you that needs to die and dies within that relationship? And that's the ending or it's a literal mortality. And I was like, because I know a lot of people who got married at 20 or 22 or 25 and they got married because they had a one night stand at the stampede, you know, and they are no longer like it's not the person that they want to be with anymore. Mm -hmm. And then they stay together because they have kids. And I was saying, I said this actually on the solo podcast I did, which is I guarantee that whatever anyone thinks they're protecting their kids from, they're not. Mm -hmm. And because you're also teaching your kids other things when you do that. And of course, then I get, but you don't have kids. And I go, that's true. Right. I'm a great parent right now. (laughs) I was the perfect parent before I had kids (laughs) too. Yeah, I'm great at doling out (laughs) advice about children. But this isn't advice about children. This is advice about the messages we send. Yes. Which is every single person I've met who has found out that their parents stayed together for them is like, don't put that on me. Mm -hmm. You should not have put that on me. 100%. And that's 100%. I've never met anyone who found out that their parents stayed together for them who wasn't like, screw you. Mm -hmm. That's bullshit. You taught me to stay just for kids, not to stay for truth, not to stay. And then what happens is resentment builds up and people treat each other like shit. Mm -hmm. And that's what they teach their kids. Mm -hmm. Because let's be honest, it lives in the ether of the connection. I was going to say it's insidious. It's in every little fiber and every little thread. It's in the text. It's in the, and that's why every conversation that we're not having, we're having. Mm -hmm. And that's why we have to have the number twos conversations, Yes, which I think it's such a beautiful invitation to say to someone, I don't feel connected to you right now. Mm -hmm. I feel like we're growing apart. Mm -hmm. Whoa, bridge. There's a bridge. There's a a calling out of truth. Yeah. We already know it's true. So why not just fucking talk about it? Just say it. Instead of being like going to your friend and being like, I feel totally disconnected from Tracy. Sorry if your name's Tracy. (laughs) I feel disconnected from Tracy and I'm just going to talk to you about it. And then I'm going to resent her. And then I'm going to text you about it later. I'm going to have four extra beers because that's how I process my feelings. And then I'm going to do this for 25 years till I have an affair. Yeah. You know, that's like, exactly because that will, you'll, then you'll justify all of those steps, right? You justify the beer, you justify the affair down the road. You go you number know. threes, 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 fours, four. and then you right. live in four. Yeah. And when people are in four, I often hear them say, but I can't, they want to get to one. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like we're really depressed because you should be depressed if you're living that life. You'll feel and that if way you wonder why you're depressed, it's pretty obvious. 
So you live in four Mm -hmm. and then you want to get to one, but Mm -hmm. you don't want to do three and two. You can't, you have to do two to get to one. You have to start. You have to do two. So the, what happens in four. I like how simple this is. It is really simple. You really have to tell yourself the truth. If you're in four, that's the first step. It's the not hitting the snooze button. It's Uh, those little, tiny little things. Cause you don't, as a little kid, like when you think, what do I want my life to look like when I'm grown up? Like, what do I want to be when I'm older? No kid thinks I want to be uh, struggling with addictions. I don't want to, you know, I want to have crappy relationships. I want to feel terrible <laughs> yeah. about myself. I want to yeah. cheat on my spouse. That's not ever a dream. But it, you end up there by doing class three experiences. When you're choosing feeling good over doing good, mm. that's where the challenge it's where the the slippery slope happens. And to get to class one, you have to do class two. So in class three, which is where most of us live, which is the things that feel good, but are not good for me, that is a very slippery slope. And the line of integrity is between class two and class three, meaning the things we tell ourselves we're going to do. So I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to start to meal prep. I'm going to have the hard conversations with my spouse. I'm going to start to budget. Those class two experiences, we lie to ourselves. That's where we lose our word to ourselves because instead in those moments where we feel challenged, we choose to feel good over doing those things. So we'll choose to be in class three. And if we do that over and over and over again, we will eventually end up in class four in terms of our life. Yeah. They're not mistakes. They become choices. So when you see it as an integrity issue, not integrity in terms of like, you know, I'm not equating you with being a murderer or a thief, or a liar, or any of you that. You did That's, murder your word, though. You murdered, you murdered your word to yourself. Murdered your word. And when you can say that, you know, I'm just going to be the type of person who keeps my word to myself, and you do that, you're class one all the way. You have a really great life. When Because at the end of the day, keeping promises to other people doesn't have any effect on your personal happiness. It's a very short-term thing. I know so many people who will stop whatever they're doing to go help somebody else. If they said, I'm going to go to the gym today, and then their neighbor phones and says, can you shovel my sidewalk today? I broke my leg. They will go absolutely. And they can justify that so easily because they're like, yeah. And they'll give up on their own dream to help somebody else. Instead, if they were to say, I promised myself I'd go to the gym. So either I have to rearrange something in my schedule so I can both shovel and go to the gym, or I have to find somebody else to shovel, or they have to find somebody else to shovel because that's their lane, not mine. And I'm going to keep my word to myself. If you do that consistently enough, you will build amazing boundaries and you will build an amazing life. Mm. that's where it comes from is just that keeping the word to oneself. You know, I notice people who live in three and four, and I say this as formerly me mm. most of the time. Um, so I say this with love and compassion. Yeah. Uh, is that then the way they see the world is that it is happening to them mm. and that, well, I'm in class three because of this and this, and this person's doing this to me. And this is why my life is this way. And they end up, in a space where they are the victim of their life. Yes. And they're afraid or clinging to that they are living in rejection and abandonment when really they're living in a rejection and abandonment of themselves, their own word and their own needs. Preach one more time for the people in the back. Just rewind it with a 15 second back (laughs) button. It's a good 15. I think it's 30 seconds. Go back 30. But you know what I'm saying? Yes. Yes. But here's the other problem, though. The other side of that is there are people who are perfectionists and they will do the other way. They will they will try and be perfect in class two. You got to go in class three sometimes. That's where like so you can't be absolute about these things. Right. Well, then you become obsessive. Yes. And then it becomes an addiction to things that are celebrated in class two. Yes. I see there's Instagram accounts made just for those. Yeah. Like this is my butt. (laughs) This is my butt's perfect. (laughs) 
My life this is, my butt is falling apart. The waves. This is my butt in <laughs> this bikini. This is my butt riding a bicycle. Or dudes with just mirror ab pictures. Yes. Don't get me wrong. I got love for all those things. Um, I don't follow them on Instagram because it doesn't speak life into me. Mm-hmm. Um, plus, it's just comparison death lane. You oh, know? it can be so dangerous. It's like, yeah. I don't even have two of those 12 abs. <laughs> that is insane. When I cough, I can kind of feel yeah. one. If I get it really good. All those peace signs, too, they're throwing up. Not a lot of peace in this world. (laughs) You know, you would hope. They've never been at a rally, but the peace signs are all over the place. But I think that awareness, too, of being like, you know, where am I at? I've certainly been in class three. I I come in and out of it, but I do it with such grace for myself now as I'm, you know, experienced this enough times in my life and having gone undergone major transformations in my own life, I I sort of go, oh, right now I'm in class three. I feel like I've been a little, like, what? And then you can ask yourself, right? Like, what am I trying to avoid feeling? Like, what am I not saying yes to that I need to? How am I not honoring myself? And at the same time, you know, really having understanding and grace for other people when when you've got a friend or your partner or whatever, and they're they're veering that way, it's okay to just honor and recognize that that might be where they need to be right now. And we don't need to should or shame yeah. anybody to, into doing anything else. Yeah, I, I find that um, we were talking about resentment before a little bit. And I said this before on a podcast that, Resentment, you know how we go 99% of the time? This is 100. I will argue this to death. Yeah. That 100% of the time, resentment always lives where you need to prioritize yourself in some way. Ooh. Like it's always where me. there needs to be a boundary. That cut me real deep. It's cut it's me true. deep. true. Because so wherever true. you resent, you are a victim of where you prioritize someone else. You made something or Ooh. someone else more important than yourself. I'm making a meme. I'm going to make an inspirational quote for Instagram with your name on it. Well, I think people need to know just like that you don't come by this advice with uh, like this pious sitting on a rooftop being like, this is how you change your life. It's like you do the work. You've Mm -hmm. done this. I mean, you're just your experiences of life. So tell tell these faithful people a little bit about where you come from. Oh, my goodness. Like, why did you start learning all this stuff? Like, you speak on stage with Tony Robbins. You you know, you have a really cool business that's all about creating community and transformation for people. Transformation I, Weekend. I think... You have Achievement Club. Oh, I mean, my Achievement And Club those people. people, I got a shout out to Achievement Club. Aren't they I've great? I've had the pleasure and honor of sharing a space with them numerous times. And it's always the most fun. The questions are hilarious. They are it's the greatest humans on I the planet. Them. You know, yeah. I I somehow became blessed, I think, because I, I don't have a solid core family. Mm-hmm. I think you just become what you need when you can't find the thing you need. That's what happened for me. And Achievement Club started out with 20 people years ago. You know, we met a need in our community. People would come to Transformation Weekend, have these radical changes, and then go back home to the asshole friends and family that yeah. they had and be like, this is hard to sustain. Class two experiences when I'm surrounded by people who want to you know, drink beer and eat Doritos. And I'm trying to make a different change in my life. So we just create a little community of people who would help each other celebrate each other's goals. And they really are my family. Like when somebody is hurting in Achievement Club, we rally hard. We walk with each other. We hang in the darkness. If it's dark, we celebrate the light. And there are some days where, you know, I always talk about celebrations. We celebrate everything in Achievement Club. And and it should actually be called Love Club, but then people would think we were swingers. So we call yeah, it Achievement Club. They're like, just put your keys in the bowl on the way in. <laughs> that's right. Don't worry, you'll get taken care of. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we celebrate because some days the biggest achievement in somebody's life is just getting out of bed. 
And some days the biggest achievement is they went from 8 million in their company to 10 million in revenue and that's high pretty, five for both things. Yeah, both are equally great. And so that's just sort of how I just, I just saw the things that were lacking in my world and just decided to make them happen. I think that's an important thing to stick on though, is that a lot of the time the struggle I see uh, in just the really beautiful vulnerabilities and shares is that people go, well, if my mom is toxic or my dad is toxic or my sister or whatever, but they're my family. Mm-hmm. And like, I know you've lived this. I've lived this. So can you speak to that? Because you've created not only the most beautiful family mm-hmm. with a beautiful, respectful, loving co-parenting, you have two wonderful sons. I know. Right? They're great. Yeah. And like one of your sons has autism, right? Yeah. And you've moved him from low functioning. I mean, he's moved himself with your guidance. Right. From low functioning to high functioning. Right. Like all of these things are like, but you can't do that. But you can't do that. Right. And you continue to do that. So can you please, because I guarantee (laughs) there's people in the back going, yeah, how do I move from a toxic family Mm -hmm. to creating an achievement club of my own, a family of my own? Right. Which I think if you're listening, you're already part of that family because you're looking. Can you? Because I know you've you've done some pretty tough things. Well, I just had to, you know, I I had to learn the hard way. I really I grew up in a in a situation that wasn't ideal. I had um, a abusive situation, and I didn't even realize how bad it was until I was a grown up. Like it wasn't until I was out of it that I saw because I had just been surrounded by it. It was just so normal. And I was telling the story on Jeremy's podcast uh, last week that. I had this moment where I, you know, I've had children of my own and I was separated from my husband, but we were on a family trip and I drew the short straw and had to drum, drive my mother from Kelowna to Calgary. And that's just sort it's of an internal family joke because everybody's like, you know, you it just you, it just comes with a certain weight. And if you know my mother outside of the family structure, she's an amazing human being. And I think that's how abuse happens sometimes. Abusers don't necessarily abuse everybody in their life. There's just certain relationships that are unhealthy. And, and that's toxic, what yeah. I was stuck in. Yeah. And it was early in the morning. It was five o'clock in the morning. And she started in on me. And, you know, she's like, you're such a fuck up. You're such a fucking loser. And I had heard those words my whole life. But now I heard them through the ears of my two children who were sitting wow. in the back seat. And I was like, this is not okay. And in that moment, I just, because I am somebody who believes in choosing love, I became a cheerleader for other people simply because I didn't have one growing up. And I needed to believe Mm. that it was possible. It was my only source of hope. So you like became what you needed. I became what I needed. And saw what it provided in other people. Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah. And when I could see that people, when they could see their own potential, they would rise to it. It gave me such peace. It wasn't from a place of power or ego. It really made me feel peaceful. And so I just decided to do what you do, which is like create the love that I wanted or had always craved as a child. And my husband and I separated in 2001. He is the world's greatest ex-husband. And we just decided we really were going to put the kids first, but not in a way that was to the detriment of who we are as humans. So we our children live in the same home that they've always lived in. We each have our own separate place. And when it's my turn with the kids, I go to the house and I parent them from their house. And then I leave when I'm, and they are thriving and doing really, really well. That's such a cool setup. Mm -hmm. But we had to choose 
love over ego and we had to choose love over fighting. We had to choose love over fear because it is, especially in 2011, that was such a weird, did I say we separated in 2001 or 2011? Because it's 2011. Think, uh, yeah, I don't know. I made myself older than I am. But we um, <laughs> we had to do something that was unheard of back then in terms of, but I just decided I'm not going to do it the way it's always been done. I'm going to do it the way it feels right in my heart to do. And I've mm. always chosen that. And it meant setting up very strict boundaries because my mother wasn't okay with it. There were parental people giving their input on how we should run our relationship. And I just was not okay with that. I needed to do the thing I knew was best for the kids. And I don't think it's the way everybody should do it. I think you have to guide yourself, but you have to listen to that and you have to honor that because when you choose somebody else's needs above your own, it's always the wrong choice. Mm. If they choose their needs and you choose your needs and you can find the place where those two things meet, then you'll win. I think often in those situations, we were referring to it earlier. That's why I can say, Aaron has kids. We can give the advice we gave earlier. Mm -hmm. But it's that often we let pain be spoken through how we co-parent because it's the only way we know how to be heard. Mm -hmm. And that's true of all breakups. I don't mean that to be just about children. But often we're so afraid of confronting it and saying, I get asked all the time, is it okay to say this? Is it okay to write a letter? Is it okay? Yes, if you want to, you can do anything except unless it's an excuse to invite someone back into your life yes, or to continue the abuse cycle mm-hmm. or to reopen a door that's not safe to open, then you should never do that. And you already know the answer to that. Mm. But I think that's so beautiful that you created this shared space that becomes their safe space that you then as a couple made it more important mm-hmm. to honor their experience than to speak pain. You could have those conversations separately Right. Yeah. Well, and because our oldest is autistic, we had to come up with a system that allowed him to thrive because the back and forth thing would not have worked with the level of rigidity he had when he was that little. Mm-hmm. It sounded like I said virginity, but I said rigidity. <laughs> rigidity. And so what I did is I just broke everything down into tiny, tiny little things. Like if he has to figure out scissors and his scissor skills are behind, what is required? How do we actually use scissors? I don't remember learning how to use scissors. Do yeah. You? It was nope. innate for you and me. Yeah. But for him, he had to learn things like, these are my pincer fingers. So we had to like, so we would come up with little activities to like, and songs and all kinds of things. And so I just broke down everything. And I learned this through a book called The Denver Model. If anybody has an autistic child or a child that's developmentally behind, The Denver Model breaks everything, like all the preschool stuff into tiny, tiny little. So we just did it like goal setting. And we never moved on to the next thing until we conquered that first thing. Like you were talking about earlier, we just stayed present with where we were. Mm -hmm. And to me, it didn't matter. I never set the goal of, I want him to be high functioning. My only goal was every day I want him to know how loved he is and how cool I think he is. Like, he's just so so awesome. And so- He's very funny. When that became the goal, he is really funny. He is. When that became the goal, then- the high, then the result became he's now high functioning and on the honor roll in grade eight. So cool. not because I said this is the result I want, but because I thought I am going to do the thing I didn't have as a child. I'm mm-hmm. going to have I'm going to show him every day that he's loved. I'm going to model love for him in my relationships with my friends, in my relationships with um, my ex, you know, his father. Um, any current relationships that I, you know, that he knows, my best friend, all of those things. But I'm also going to show him love by having very strict boundaries with the people that hurt me. Mm. And I can still, I have so much forgiveness for my mother and so much forgiveness for my father. I have no ill will towards them. I love them as people, but it's very unsafe for me to be in relationship with them. And it's unsafe for my children to witness that because that is not okay for me. 
right? I don't ever want my child in a relationship with anybody who says you're a fuck up, you're a loser at five o'clock in the morning, just before you take a little car ride together. Yeah. So it's, it was- To hear it through their ears. Mm -hmm. What did that spark in you? I suddenly realized that it wasn't okay. I had just always accepted that it was the way it was. It was normal for you. It was normal. And then it occurred to me, if something happened to one of my children, like I- had, uh, you know, a child that was abused or a child that was, whether it be physically, mentally, emotionally, whatever. And suddenly, you know, let's say it was their creepy uncle Larry that did something. I would never in a million years say, you know what you need to do? You need to get in a car and drive creepy uncle Larry to Manitoba. I would be like, that's why are you in a car with creepy uncle Larry? Like that is not okay. But for some reason I had this silly notion that because it's blood that, you know, blood is thicker than water and family matters more than anything. All and these narratives we've created. It's yeah. not true. I, I wish I had a mother that was loving and kind and open. And some people know my mother as that way and they have that relationship with her. And I think that's great. I, I, you know, not all my siblings even had the same experience of her as I did. And I think that's okay too. But I had to stop being a part of the relationship that allowed that to continue because Unfortunately, with an attached bond with a parent, it's really difficult to, you can't manage that. You can't, you know, I was codependent in the way of like, I would, um, you know, when things would get out of hand, I was the one who was providing the humor for everybody in the family. And I mm-hmm. was always keeping everything smooth. And, and what happens to the family when you're not there to save everybody? Oh, and, it had, it struggled. Yeah. It, yeah. It I bet. Cause you hold up, you're like part of what holds it up in that system. Cause I was participating. Yeah. Yeah. And we don't even know that. Also, we don't know that when someone is speaking to us in that way, they actually become in charge of our Mm self-worth. So then they give it to us and take it away so quickly. And so we we start to see our worth being outside of us, which is really an evolutionary program too, Mm -hmm. of like, if someone loves you, then you're worthy of being loved and it's validated. But then you watch yourself step into the fire, you know? Oh, this amazing thing happened to me when I was in my mid-20s. One of my siblings was talking about our parents and was like, you know, sort of like constantly trying to achieve, 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 but not from a place of like wanting to grow and just trying to get approval. And I realized, I said, they're never going to say that they're proud of you. You realize that. And he was like, oh. And Mm. I thought, here we are as grown-ups constantly chasing, but it's because of that give, take away, give, take away that we're, that we become sort of in this pattern of crazy. And the only way to break it sometimes is it doesn't have to be forever. You don't have to cut people out of your life. And, you know, like anybody that hurts you, you're not going to get rid of them. People are not commodities, but it's okay to say, I need a stronger boundary here with this because of this reason. And it has nothing to do with the other person at all. You mistake that as not being loving when it's mm-hmm. actually loving. It's a boundary so loving. is love. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, that's that line between compassion and tolerance. We think compassion is tolerance, right? but they're very different. You can, like you said earlier, I, I love them as human beings, absolutely, but they don't have access to me. And I you know? have such peace about it, which I didn't in relationship. I had anger and resentment and manipulativeness and vindictiveness and all kinds of unhealthy things. And it wasn't serving them either. And when you can peacefully allow things to enter and exit your life and choosing in those moments, what you're going to allow to stay and what you're going to allow to let go of, you have freedom. Mm, I think that makes me think of this concept that if you let go of the hope you've always lived with Mm -hmm. for it to be different than it is, you connect to the truth of what it is. And then you're invited once you connect to the truth of what it is, to act based on that. Mm -hmm. But as children, we learn to deny our reality. It's one of the greatest coping mechanisms. 
especially for children who experience a lot of pain. Yeah. Denial is one of the first forms of coping. Mm -hmm. But when you deny, you live in a world where lies are the truth, where, where this world we've created that is different than what is really happening. Yeah. You know, I see this all the time when like someone gets, you know, a text message from, you know, a, a, a another guy being like, I'm hooking up with your girlfriend. This probably happens more the other way, but <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And they're like, and then they go to their partner and talk to them about it. And their partner's like, no, that person's crazy. That's never. And there's like photographic evidence <laughs> and videos. And we're still like, no, but they're like a good person. That's because it was Wednesday and we were on a break and I'm not really, you know, we start yes. to live in this world where we're so used to creating excuses for people who don't create them for themselves. Yes. We're so used to denying what's true because that's how we survived. You said the br- most brilliant thing to me once. Do you remember? We were I don't know. I, always every time we connect to say something brilliant. You said to me, your survival mechanism is to put other people's needs before yours. That was my primary. You said it much more eloquently than that. I actually have it written down on a post-it note. I can go get it. I like it. And I realized, I thought, you are so right that that is a childhood, that's a characteristic of children who have been abused that explains why I lived out a lot of the things that I did. But in order to survive, I had to put other people's needs before mine. And what was so cool is when you said that to me, I wrote it on a post-it note, I stuck it on my mirror, I have it over there, I'll show it to you (laughs) later. And I then every day wrote a post-it note that said, I choose my needs today. And I just made an effort to class two that stuff right out of my life. It was because it was so hard to do. And sometimes I said no to things, not because um, I couldn't do them, but because I needed to say no, I needed to practice saying no. So even, you know, things like friends saying, let's go do this. I would say, no, thank you. Just to, and I felt so good. I was like, look at me saying no. And like choosing, it was so powerful. No, it's a complete sentence. It was amazing. Yeah. It's a beautiful word. Yeah. I had such a hard time using it. Did you? Oh my God. I'm the same, like, um, you know, want everybody to get along, want to help others. Right. Distracts me from my own work, my own needs. Right. I mean, I built a business around it. It's brilliant. You know, but but what I saw was my survival strategy when I started, which was be an entertainer, be funny. Right. You know, be uh, likable. Take care of other people. Yeah. So people don't notice my pain. But as I dove into my own pain before I ever created Create the Love and started writing, as I dove into my own pain and put my needs first and started to really discover myself, who am I separate from what I've been taught? Mm -hmm. And when I started to do that, what ended up happening is I started to see that all of our survival strategies are actually our superpower. Yes. When taken from being a dark motivation of survival, which I don't mean that in a bad way, but that's the shadow side of it to this light motivation. So dark motivations require coping mechanisms like alcohol, drugs, sex, all the things, right? Mm -hmm. Distractions. Light motivations, which convert, that's when dark turns to light, require coping mechanisms like (laughs) number twos, Mm -hmm. green juice, meditation. They just become different, Mm -hmm. but the energy is different. So it doesn't mean that it's bad that our motivations are born from pain because I think that's the best way to change your life is huge. I'm sad. Let's fuck shit up. You have leverage when you're sad. Yeah, you have leverage when things are When you're painful. angry, yeah. change your life. That's what changes the world. Absolutely. You know, anger changes the world. Look at the Me Too movement. Look at the Women's oh, March. Look God at the, the Me Too movement. Right. Like all of these things are so powerful. And I'm like, let's, uh, let's just let women run the world for a little bit just to see what hey, happens. I, I would love to be- Shaved Right. Yeah. I will, I will shave my legs for, for female leadership. But I think like that's like, if we could just all make our world, which mother nature really is a womb, 
You know, I think of that of like, it is time to step more into the feminine, to mm -hmm. step in this space of boundaried, compassionate badassery. Oh, boundaried, compassionate badassery. Which is what you do. And I, and I think that when you told the story about your mother the first time, about mm -hmm. your boundaries, about you laying it down, about you, because I, I don't want to give it away, but you did. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm open about it you now. You cut yeah. it all. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I literally, we had a conversation and she said, she went from being angry at me, which is how it started, to then flipping it around and doing the gaslighting and whatever. And and this is all stuff she learned. So I, I say this with so much compassion for my mother because nobody, nobody's born this way. Yeah. yeah. And so I say this with compassion, but she then flipped it around and whatever. But I realized I, I'm not going to be part of this anymore. And I, you know, I've said this before, but there was this moment I clearly remember we were in Sycamus. There had been a, we were in Revelstoke actually, which is this BC, British Columbia mountain town. Beautiful place. And there was a fatality on the road, seven cars in front of us, and the highway was backed up. And I said, I got to turn around and feed the kids at some point. So let's drive back. And she was like, we're going to lose our place in line and you make shitty decisions. And it was all, you know, and mm. I'm crying and my kids are upset and the whole thing's happening. And I thought, I'm, I've got the wheel. I, it was just suddenly occurred to me, like, I'm, I have the wheel. I have a driver's license. I'm a grown up. I'm <laughs> going to choose to turn around. So we go back to Sycamuse and at one point she gets out of the car and I had this horribly delicious idea <laughs> of what if I drive away and never talk to her again? What if? And that question alone allowed me so much freedom because I'd never considered. Never about that. And that was the last day that I ever spoke to my mother or saw her. And it was How the best decision. Ago? That was 2013. And, you know, for my parents, that's been very painful for them because that's, um, you know, they see it differently then I see it. Of course. They see it through the window of enabling and no responsibility. Mm -hmm. And they also have lived um, with it for a while and they choose it consistently. And so it's been very painful for them, but I am, uh, and, and I don't, I'm not doing it to hurt them. I'm not doing it. I'm doing it to protect my children. I'm doing it to look after eight-year-old me. Yeah. You gave yourself what you always needed was a parent who'd protect you. And what's been so beautiful about it is since then, the most amazing women have come into my life, like these almost like surrogate moms, you know, like really cool mother figures who are like, how's it going with your relationship? What do your kids need? Like just really that relationship that I always wanted, right? The, the mother that loves unconditionally, that has your back, that is a team member that breathes life into you, right? So I've not only created it, but then I've been rewarded and been able to receive it from from other women, so... Because you modeled it. Because I That's such a beautiful it. thing, like, that you can... You receive... I see this sort of archetypical balance within people. Some people speak to it as being masculine, feminine. Yeah. I really think about it being this child within us who will love, unrelenting, who will do anything. And I really think about it being like, you know how a kid will chase an ice cream truck? Yes. And they'll do any... Like, I will too. Hey, here's some candy, get in this van. Like, kids don't have... Because they believe in the best in everyone. They do. And they have nothing but the most loving, open hearts. Yeah. And the other side that often gets undeveloped or overdeveloped and we lose the child connection in us is the warrior. Yes. Right? The warrior in my, what, I want you to know your definition, but I see the warrior as one who conquers oneself. Is that what, what, are you, what is your... Yeah, I see it as being that you can't open your heart without guiding it, without curating it, oh, without having boundaries, yes. without having someone who's going to say, no, fuck that bullshit. Yeah. And the kid going, finally, oh my God, thank you. 
because I've been getting hurt because the kid will throw themselves into love yes. constantly and get re-injured, re-injured, re-injured yes. because they believe in the best in everyone and it becomes familiar. Mm-hmm. The warrior, we can also be over too much where we're so guarded and protected that we never let the kid be loved. Right. So it's about this integration and balance of learning what a boundary is, learning what no is. Often we have to go to the far end. We have to reclaim oneself with an extreme action, a betrayal of sorts. Mm -hmm. But that betrayal of another is the reclaiming of self, which is what you did. Mm -hmm. Drop your mama, peace out, Brussels sprouts. And then you're home and you're like, why do I feel at peace? But I did the thing I've never been supposed to do. I was afraid. And and here's what was interesting is I remember her saying, you know, because she went from being like, I, she, it was her initiation. She said, we're never doing this again, right? which was something that like, was often said, right? Yeah. But I always knew it. she didn't mean it. But this time I thought, what if I mean it? Like, mm. what if we, like, how bad will it be? So then I said, I think you're right. I, I actually agree with you. And then she said, well, you're going to regret that and flipped it back again. And I thought, I don't think I will. Like, I really felt like I actually, I don't think I will feel bad about it. And <laughs> That's got to be a new thought. part of me was surprised in the beginning. Like, I shouldn't I feel bad about this? I don't know why. I, mm. And then a little bit of guilt would come in, but I would just sit with it and be still and be quiet. And it always came back to peace. Like mm. it was always the right choice. So, you know, when I, I talk to people who are like, yeah, but you know, I'm in this toxic relationship with my, with a parent or a sibling or whatever. And there's been this really awful thing that's happened. I think the thing we have to remember is family also is here to teach us. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you have to like break a branch off the family tree to grow a new grove. Like you don't have to continue this because it's always been done. But when you're in those pain patterns with your parents and you can't heal within them, because it, it would require them to heal too. It would require them to, you know, to, to really heal the family system. It requires everybody to participate. Mm-hmm. And if they don't, or if they can't, or if they won't, then you've learned everything you need to learn. And now for the rest of the generations, you've got to, you've got to change that family tree. You have done it. I mean, that's the, you inherit everything. No one's ever done what you've done mm-hmm. and you break the pattern and now you have a new system. Mm-hmm. Fuck. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Well. I love you to pieces. Thank I love you for you a great so conversation much. today. Thank you for being here and sharing all of that magical wisdom and where, so for people who don't know Aaron Sky Kelly. She is a badass speaker. She runs workshops. She works with companies. She has Achievement Club, Transformation Weekend. I, all these things will be linked out. But where can people find you since people are lazy and don't want to click on links? Aaron Sky Kelly. That's it. Everywhere on the internet. If you just Google. Sky spelled with an E. Sky spelled with an E. S-K-Y-E. Yep. Aaron E-I-R-N. Yes. Kelly K-E-L-L-Y. You Not the, I guess all three of those order. words are hard to spell. So I guess there's yeah, lots of I had to get it out there. So AaronSkyKelly.com. <laughs> yes. Facebook, Instagram, all the things. All the things. Let's go find her. She's the best. One of my favorite human beings. Thank you so much. I always feel emotional at the end of our conversations. Like I'm all I'm getting verklempt now because I'm like, I have to say goodbye. These are our last These are our last And I would not have chosen to spend them any other way. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. If this episode resonated with you, one of the best ways to support the show is to go subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any more. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to it, or share the episode with your community on Instagram or whatever social place you like to hang out. This helps get it into more people's ears, and I'm so grateful for your support, always. Thanks again for tuning in. Much love.